Rochelle's mom died from cystic fibrosis when she was two. Her dad remarried and she also died from cystic fibrosis when Rochelle was six. Rochelle didn't understand what she'd lost until she became a mom herself. When she became a mom, she couldn't understand why her daughter always called for her. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Rochelle's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm glad you're here today. Today, I have with me Rochelle. Rochelle is up in the blustery middle of the prairie part of Canada. We were just talking about how cold it is there, but it's going to get colder. But she says she's used to it and that they know how to live like that. Um, Rochelle and I met uh, online and she has agreed to share her story with us today. So I am going to turn the mic over to Rochelle and let her introduce herself and tell us her story. And then I'll be back at the end with a couple of questions. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, for those who know where that is. Um, and uh, thank you, Beth, for um, having me on the show and having me share my story. So um, I am a mom of two now um, and uh, a school teacher. And um, those things are very, very important in who I am. And um, my mother loss actually shapes who I am as a classroom teacher. So that's why I bring that up. Um, so to start at the beginning, um, my mom uh, died of cystic fibrosis when I was two, almost three, um, end of August and my birthday is in November. So uh, almost three. And then my dad remarried when I was five turning six and she too had cystic fibrosis. And so um, she died one year later when I was six turning seven. Um, also at the end of August, um, in fact, both women died on my dad's birthday. So that, that uh, makes my dad not love his birthday. <laughs> and um, so growing up, um, it was my dad, my brother and me and um, I learned to do a lot of the things, you know, I, um, that mom would do. I was, you know, by 10, 11 years old, I was doing the laundry. I was helping with meals. In fact, I was cooking most meals. Um, and that uh, man, we ate some bad food because I was experimenting and learning with recipes. And, and um, you know, I did a lot of those things uh, on my own. I, I don't fault my dad for any shortcomings or anything because he's a dad and he did his very very best to to meet our needs but uh, as a single dad trying to work and keep us going as as kids um, of course there were you know just things that he couldn't get to as a parent or whatever so um, though though who I am is in part because I was raised by a, a single dad um, that's not the part of the story that I would like to focus on today, obviously, um, in my story of mother loss. Um, the, the thing I want to share the most is that I didn't start my real grief journey until I became a mom. Um, I didn't know what I had lost. When you, when you lose a mom so young, 
Um, of course, there would probably be in child trauma in there at the, you know, but I don't remember anything about my mom, um, you know, and, and people always only tell you the good things afterwards. So um, I can, sure, I, I have this idea of this person, but I don't know who she was or how she would be today or would she be an amazing mom and we'd get along I have no idea but I I had the perhaps good fortune of creating that story for myself <laughs> so she she would have been this perfect mom and um although we know that that doesn't totally exist um but then um when my dad married the second time um I did call her mom for the year um and there were little things that uh where I knew things were different. So coming home from school and supper was ready. Or um, that was the one year I was allowed to grow my hair out because my dad always made me cut my hair because it was too much to maintain. Um, someone to curl my hair for school picture day, right? So those little things um, did give me a glimpse, but it was very short. Um, I don't, I don't know how much momming you get in a year honestly right so so and I don't remember a lot I remember birthday cake being made um I but I also remember her walking around the house with the oxygen um in her nose and we actually had to move homes because her oxygen tube didn't fit around the whole house so they couldn't get one long enough I remember oxygen being delivered to the house um so so I don't have a lot there um and then, and then, of course, uh, I was sent to Edmonton where my, my aunt and my uncle lived for the summer um, when she died because it was just too much. She was in hospital. And so, um, and then, you know, growing up, being a teenager, um, figuring out all the things myself uh, was complicated. And I think that I definitely... So my aunt and I are very, very close. She would be my mother figure. I tell her everything. Um, but she acknowledges she's not my mom and I do too. So uh, when, yeah, as we, as we carried on through life, um, again, I, I just didn't know what I didn't have. And I, I like, I, and how do you know? And I, um, so, you know, met my husband, we get married and I, you know, little things, I suppose I went wedding dress shopping by myself and, um, just didn't have that go-to person. And then, um, then when my kids were born, so, uh, just to be clear, and I do want listeners to know this, I, I had I'm a carrier of cystic fibrosis and my husband is, we discovered is also a carrier. And so that we had a one in four chance of not, of having a kid with cystic fibrosis. And so um, I had decided I was not having kids. That was it, it was just not, I'm not bringing, I, the sentence I said to my husband was that this disease will not ruin my life anymore. So no, <laughs> um, and then, but then, you know, uh, I was also told by the doctors I'd never have kids, that I was already in menopause at 23 years old, and that was it. So um, I think now looking back, it was just God saying, I'm in control. And so uh, six years later, surprise, <laughs> Sydney was born. 
uh, and uh, and then five, sorry, six years later, again, Kate was born, and both complete shock, just like what is going on? How is this even possible? Um, and just for a little bit of humor, um, I knew I was pregnant because I didn't want a glass of wine. <laughs> well, something's wrong. <laughs> and so I, cause that's my, my treat on a weekend is to have a glass of wine. And I was just like, oh, that's just not, no. <laughs> and so, but with each child I took, um, with Sydney, I took seven pregnancy tests and with Kate, I took about five. So it was a bit of a shock. Um, anyway, so let's, let's start with, uh, when, when Sydney was born, um, my aunt and my uncle came from Edmonton the day she was born. And they, you know, they came for a day and a half because that's what, you know, moms do or, you know, mother figures do. And, and my aunt does, she was there for me and, and that was awesome. But um, I still had a lot to learn. And this is where the journey for me really began because, you know, you, I mean, per, perhaps instinctually, you know, and I do, I do have a lot of love to give and I, so loving my daughter was never an issue but and, and bonding with her was never an issue but I I did have this moment and I I don't remember exactly how old she was she had to be able to say my name say mama so I don't know 10 months or so and I I I just remember saying to my husband like why does she always call for me and I just, I didn't understand. Sorry, that one's a really hard one because it was so huge. And, and my husband said, well, because you're her mother. I was like, I, <laughs> I had no idea that that's what that meant and, and how important a mom is. So that was really big. And then um, that's when I learned that I, I actually needed help. I, I went for counseling at that point um and on and off for about seven years I went to counseling and, and just to try to piece together the grief and what I was living um with my daughter and uh my I think we think my body kind of went into some sort of shock I lost about um 75 pounds <laughs> just my body just like and this was in the couple of years after Sydney was was born. Um, just a mother grief. Uh, I don't know because there was never anything diagnosed. Ultimately, um, and I certainly was not not eating. <laughs> right, it was just my body, and I was hyperlactating. Um, I was making about sixty to seventy ounces of milk a day, um, and I just. I don't know what happened with my body and it, and I, it didn't happen with Kate. My body just like, I, I remember going downstairs with when I had, after I had Kate, I said, the same thing won't happen again. I'm good. My body's good this time. So um, clearly there was something there. I haven't unpacked that a whole lot. I just kind of leave it um, as part of perhaps my journey into motherhood. Um, but I, I had, I had a lot to learn about uh, about what it means to be mom. And I still find myself um, 
when the girls tell me that they love me, I still find myself grappling, grasping maybe to understand how much they love me and what I mean to them. And it's, it has nothing to do with, uh, my own, with insecurity or anything. It's just that I don't love anyone like that. Right. So I don't, and I, and I never did. So I don't, well, I mean, I would have before I was two, right. I would have had that, but that's very, uh, nature versus like the nurturing love that develops as you get to know your kids and, and you, right. You grow together. Um, so they, they are unbelievably good for me, um, and patient with me. Um, they, and I, and I've through counseling and so on, I also learned to be honest with them about some of the things I feel and, and learn. So one example is that I never leave my kids. Um, they can leave me, but I, I won't. So I'm home for bedtime. I've never done a, a momcation or anything like that. I've never left. Um, the only time I left Sydney is when I had Kate uh, in hospital. But other than that, um, I'm home and I'm kind of like, I'll go out for supper or whatever, but I'll, I'll make sure that I'm home. Um, and I, I don't ever want them to live any event, I suppose, or circumstance or whatever, where I'm not there to help or to guide or hug or whatever, whatever. Um, and I, uh, I take meal prep and, caring for them that way super seriously like I it is my way of showing well and showing everybody how much I love them like I, I do enjoy cooking it's therapeutic for me um you know I could I don't like baking but I like cooking and so um I just don't need all those calories <laughs> but I I really enjoy um, making sure that they're they're taking care of that they're well fed and and I don't do you know, I don't do everything for them. Like Sydney has to help with school lunches and all those, and they do their laundry and those things. But I just mean that I, it, it matters to me to be present for them all the time. Um, and maybe there are some, some things where maybe a bit of a, to a fault, like where if they need a ride or if something's up, like I will drop everything. But I don't, and I, the thing is, I don't know if that's like maternal because everybody, do moms always do that? I have no idea. Um, and so I think they kind of do, like there are some moms who do that anyway, but I wouldn't call myself a helicopter mom or anything like that. I just, I just need to be there for my own um, healing, I suppose. And then um, also uh, it's, it's really neat for me to be able to walk them through becoming young women. Well, my eldest daughter is a young woman and my littler one becoming a young woman and, and, um, and getting to know them um, and allowing them to know me honestly too. That's a really neat part of motherhood. Um, and there's a vulnerability there too. Um, I think that um, also I'm very maternal in my teaching. Um, the, the kids always, I'm a high school teacher, so the, but the kids always call me their school mom. 
and uh, they, you know, I, I kind of am always there to listen and to just be well, who I am, but it, it just all, it all plays together. Um, I think, I think that's kind of where I'm at. So the one thing that I, when you were talking about, you know, that you're, that you're not a helicopter mom and that you, you um, need to be present for them at all times because for your own healing and that you've learned how to be really honest with them. I just wonder as, because I had two girls also, as they get older, do they, have you provided them with the same permission to be honest with you about, you know, mom, maybe this is too much or like, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a judgmental way, but there does become a time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really okay with my daughters leaving. In fact, I, I, um, I fully believe in raising adults and I believe that, um, like I, when we named our daughters, we named them as, a, as adults, knowing that, that they were going to grow up. Um, I, my goal has always been to raise strong, independent women who can decide for themselves, who are not afraid to leave home, who um, are able to thrive in, in the world. And, and I, I can too. It's just when it comes to them, I want to be present. Um, but I, I, they, they are both strong, resilient, intelligent, capable women and or young women. And they, they very, very much, um, I want them to, to be able to leave home and all, but also know that I'm, I'm there for them. And, um, the part of that, you know, is why I have a career, right? Mm-hmm. I need, I, I love working and I love my job but it's really important that I have something other than them um, as well. So it, I was never stay at home mom material. I um, admire women who are um, actually one of the effects I suppose of, of losing my mom so young is that uh, I never learned how to play. Mm-hmm. So never, so I don't, play with my I never did but I included them in everything I did so if I'm cooking they'd be in with me in the kitchen or whatever but I didn't I wouldn't be on the floor inventing or creating or my husband's amazing at that thank goodness <laughs> so, so yeah I I think that um I'm de- not I think I know I'm definitely okay with them leaving and and being independent I hope I've given them all the tools as they grow up yeah it sounds like it. It sounds like you have a very good self-awareness of, you know, what you want your role to be, but that you do understand that they are going to go out into the world and become their own people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I am sure because you've been honest with them and they realize that to not take life for granted, it probably has given them a wider lens that most girls their age probably don't have. Mm-hmm. Because teenagers, you know this, you're a high school teacher, I'm preaching to the choir that teenagers are very self-focused and, you know, not able to always interpret what's going on around them in terms of, you know, life and emotions and big picture things. But I'm sure that your girls have a different lens for that. I would, I would definitely say Sydney does, the older one. She, I think Kate's growing into it. Um, Sydney is a, is an, 
she's my kid, but <laughs> she's just a marvelous, marvelous human being who like, not only do I love my daughter, but I like my daughter. Like she, well, both of them, but if we're talking specifically about Sydney, she's just, she's so, um, she's so strong and independent and works really hard at school. And she just, she's just, she's my little bestie. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, last year I, um, I was her teacher last year and oh, wow. yeah, it was awesome. Um, it was the best year we had and I've been transferred schools since they changed. I'm at a different high school now. In fact, I'm at the high school I went to. Oh, wow. This kind of full circle and, and healing in its own way. Um, cause I did not love high school at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm actually teaching in the classroom. That was my classroom which is crazy <laughs> just crazy uh, so that is so cool it is cool um I think that there yeah it, there's got to be a plan there because <laughs> help me recover <laughs> right mm -hmm. anyway so yeah um it's yeah it's good yeah and I love that they call you their school mom because yeah. that's so important at that age for those you know I at one point in time had thought about being a teacher and I thought that I would like to be an elementary school teacher. And then I was like, no, I think, I think like high school is when they start to be so confused and want to fit in and just want to be a part of something and just, just know that they're loved. And yeah. for you to provide that for the kids in your school is just amazing. That's so, Thank you. so yeah. Yeah, high, I love teaching high school. They're, they're exactly, as you said, they're, they want to fit in. They want to be independent. They, um there's so much in the world there they still do have a narrow lens but I I work hard to actually help them see that there's a bigger picture and in one of my classes right now we're talking about empathy like that that's what I'm teaching is is to see the kids around them uh and be kind because you don't know what they're living so that's and and I use actually I, I used my story a little bit like I don't you know unload on kids but it's like no, just think like if when I was in high school, I had all this going on and I was taking care of my home and I was making meals and I, I couldn't do as well in school as I wanted to, because I had too much other stuff going on and, and just too many emotions. And, and I really, I really felt alone in high school because I just, they're, they're tricky years and I didn't have anybody. Um, I found myself actually like clinging to a couple female teachers mm -hmm. and one of my biggest downfalls actually through adulthood is um finding an older woman you know and and who would have been like a mentor but then I I kind of mess up the relationship because I'll I'll look to them for personal advice as well and then it's almost like a line gets crossed and unfortunately then the relationship kind of falls apart because that person isn't like they have their own family and their own kids and so um I've done that to a lot of women over the years I think and and uh trying to make them my person right or my go-to and and um one of the lines I've always said is like I, I don't have a person like you know because moms are always the person for kids and so um I I think that I'm getting to a point now I'm doing much better actually at just being like, you know what, I can be that person almost for myself. Like I need to find the strength in me 
and know that I'm okay on my own instead of looking to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're always going to have that mom size hole in our heart that's not going to be filled by anything else because it can't be. But and I I kind of bristle at the term self love because I think it's just been commercialized and you know used for marketing purposes and all that kind of stuff. But in the past couple of years of my own grief journey, like I've realized that I need to give myself some grace. That's why grace is one of my like you know tagline words. Like give yourself some grace to you did the best you could did with the resources that you had at the time because you can't judge. I can't look back at my thirteen year old self and judge judge my actions then by what I know now. And well, I think, and there's so much shame that I think comes when you're, when you have to say, oh, my mom's, my mom's not here. I don't have a mom or my mom died or like, and then you see the discomfort that people have and it just makes you kind of, you know, yeah. internalize all that, which then turns into shame that you carry around. And then you make up all these stories in your head. And, you know, yeah. one of my other favorite things is just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, being motherless growing up, um, and I'm sure many people who are motherless will resonate with this one is that, that things change at school at like, suddenly I wasn't having like people wouldn't come over, right? Like people don't come play, like they're not, or sleepovers or whatever, because there's not a woman in the home. It makes a huge difference, like huge. So it's very isolating. It's like, Mm -hmm extremely and and I can't speak for my brother at all but you know was it different for him because it was a dad I'm I'm sure um you know I I just yeah like everything is different birthdays are different um all the little things that moms do that dads don't and again I never fault my dad it's just like never I'm grateful for everything he did it's just that it's different and it's um and when you're you're trying to navigate friends but then no one can come over or you know you're I don't know having a birthday party and the cake got forgotten or I don't know right like I'm just thinking of examples where where the things just don't aren't the same they're just not the same and that attention to to the details that moms do um isn't there and so you know hand me down clothes instead of my own clothes and you know uh, grade eight grad dress shopping on my own and right and and yeah. all those all those things that are just so different when you don't have a mom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yes grace I I'm probably really really hard on myself sometimes but I'm I'm learning you know we're learning to be kinder to myself and and yeah forgive myself for like you said things that I do now or did then that I you know, when you're figuring it out on your own. Yeah. Just like, I mean, you, you've voiced an extreme amount of grace for your dad and that he, mm-hmm. you know, you don't blame him for anything. We need to hold ourselves to that same standard. You I know? Agree. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. And the other side of that, that shame and that identity loss for me was then, and I hear this in your story too, as then I became high functioning. I did oh, all yeah. the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when people would talk about like people being dependent and I was like, I am not dependent on anybody. Like, you know, I raised myself and I, I had my own apartment my senior year in high school, which is another story, but like all the things, you know, no way I'm not dependent. And then I found this Terry Cole writes about 
high functioning dependency and how you depend on your high functioning. I was like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, um, unfortunately in my high, in what I did actually is that I depended on my story to, for a lot of years. It became my identity. It was the first thing I would tell people about myself. Um, well, maybe the second, but it was what, it became my identity and my defense for everything. So if you think I'm a little weird or if you think I, well, I didn't have a mom. That's how I, right. And then, and it just became um, very much who I was. And um, I have, that's where counseling really, really helped actually. It was like, no, it's, it's part of who you are. Yes. It shapes who I am, shapes my decisions, but it is not who I am. It is not what I am. I'm so much more. But again, I, I think I was like late teens, early 20s. That's when I did that a lot. And I had gone through just being isolated, alone. And then and then I just would tell people and then there would be this like pity and then they would like, like me. Uh, I hoped it excused anything that they thought different about me, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's too mm -hmm. bad. But again, I do give myself grace on that one. I, I do because um, I didn't know and I had to sort it out mm -hmm. so. and for all that time it was a huge part of who you are and like yeah. you said now it, it will always be a part of who you are but it's not all of you that's right yeah yeah absolutely it does shape it shapes everything of course it has to it has to because um there but it what doesn't shape everything it has to shape certain parts of how I am and who I am but it can't be my identity mm -hmm can't be all of you mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so um so your dad that both of these women died on his birthday and and I'm assuming he knew that the second your stepmom had cystic fibrosis when he married her as well yeah so I don't um I don't understand that marriage to be honest okay. um um I don't if my dad listens to this, uh, I don't talk to him about it. I don't feel like I need to. There was clearly more going on than I will understand. Um, the thing I get told all the time is that she wanted um, a husband and kids of her own, um, and she wouldn't be able to have that. Um, I mean, it was 1985, and I've heard that, you know, of course, in the church, they couldn't just live together they couldn't right there was all those all these things and so um so marriage was the way but you know in a church setting it was tricky and uh i don't know if they knew she would die that quickly um i've heard from people that she was fine when they got married and then went downhill really quickly mm -hmm. life expectancy at for stick fibrosis at the time was 30 and she was 30. Wow. so um, my mom died at 32 and so lived just a little bit longer, but, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, cause that seems too, um, similar to really be ironic. Do you, yeah. do you, I mean, I'm not Absolutely. saying that the right way, but you know what I mean? It's no, I understand. it was a choice. Okay. It was a choice. Yes. And, and so, um, I can't pretend to understand that choice and, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I just go with it. My, my dad is remarried. He got married again when I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a, an absolutely beautiful woman, absolutely inside and out. And 
um, grandma to my kids and, and a very, very close friend for me. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So. My dad remarried the year after they, my parents were divorced already. And my dad was already dating Becky. So they got married the year after my mom died and okay. her term of endearment, we call her WSM for wicked stepmother. Oh, no. <laughs> but my sister and I were actually the wicked stepdaughters at that time because we were horrible. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I love her dearly and I'm very grateful for her too, yeah. for sticking, sticking by us when we were not so great and sticking by my dad through all the years also. Yeah. So, yeah, know. I, I really didn't treat my, my, my dad's wife very well at the beginning at all, at all. I was so hard on her, but um, she stuck with me <laughs> and, uh, and still does. Right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. I think they probably get it. I think they probably understand where we were coming from yeah. at that time, at those ages that we exactly. were. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There goes that grace again. We're yeah, going to keep exactly. throwing that around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I so appreciate you being here today. I usually try to finish the podcast. If you have a final thought you want to share or something that you want to leave the listeners with today. Um, I guess just maybe the theme of the, the end here of our conversation, like be kind to yourself, have grace for yourself and, and for those around you, because we're all on a journey and um, we all come with a story. So I think that, um, yeah, just grace and kindness towards each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a good theme to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again so much for being here. I appreciate Absolutely. you telling your story. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.